So the last couple of weeks uh, have been kind of a difficult couple of weeks in ministry. I've had to do two funerals uh, in the last two weeks. I've gotten, I should say, I've gotten to do two funerals. While they are, funerals are always difficult, they they are a a ministry that I find uh, to be a blessing to be able to do and and to walk with people uh, going through about the worst thing that that someone can go through. Um, Two weeks ago, it was the, the father of a friend of mine, uh, that I, uh, I went down to Toledo and did a funeral service. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, actually here uh, at, at King of Kings, uh, there was a funeral for a 17-year-old who had been baptized in this congregation, who had, had uh, grown up a little bit. Uh, the family had sort of uh, drifted away several years ago, and she passed away uh, of complications from leukemia uh, at, at the age of 17. She was a high school uh, junior here at, at Lake Orion. Uh, the two funerals could not have been more different. Uh, my friend's father was a very difficult man. Uh, it was a, a very dysfunctional family dynamic, and so the service was very small. Uh, it was actually the graveside of, of where he was where he was to be buried, uh, and th- it was just a, just the family. And even though it was clear that some degree of closure had been experienced at the funeral, uh, what was also clear was that there was a lot of hurt and trauma. Uh, that had remained and would probably continue to remain for some time. The funeral yesterday was tragic for different reasons. Uh, whenever a child passes away, it, it, it's just truly, truly awful. In, in this case, the, there was a lot of reason for hope with this, uh, this person's illness, uh, and, and uh, that, that hope sort of was dashed, and, and all of a sudden she was gone, uh, and, and very, uh, very quickly um, and Fortunately, not painfully for her, uh, but certainly in a shocking manner for those who, who loved him. In both funerals, the grief was both palpable and expressed. And grief is the evidence of a world that is not as it should be. Whenever there's a traumatic event, whether it's, it's a, a loss, uh, whether it's part of an illness, uh, whether it's, there's pain involved, none of that was part of the story. God did not intend for death to be part of the human experience. The, the world is not as it should be, and, and yet here we are. And death is not the only source of grief. That whenever there's a traumatic event, whether it's a loss of a job, a divorce, a financial catastrophe, the impact of a global pandemic and the changes that 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 brings, grief is natural and normal. The problem with our culture is that we don't really know what to do with grief. In the aftermath of an event that you might be grieving, uh, the, the space is usually made for you in your grief, but only so much space. It's almost like there's a time limit that's allotted on you for how long you can and should grieve. And then it's time to be over it. It's time to go back to work. It's time to move on with life. It's time to, to, to move forward. And Even more than others not knowing what to do with our grief, we don't know what to do with our grief. And the accompanying emotions and impulses, whether it's denial or anger or bargaining or depression or acceptance, what's been come to known as the five stages of grief, 
we don't know how to get out of these or to, to get past them. So we just kind of act like we're fine. We just kind of act like we, we're going to go uh, on as we always have, hoping that it just will get better on its own. But there is no time limit. There's no linear process for grief. Grief is natural and normal. Any time life does not turn out the way that you imagined. And, and the only way out of grief is through. So when we face losses of any kind, we need something that will keep us in our grief, but in a way that we will move through it. Acknowledging that whatever happened is worth grieving, but that grief is not the end. And that it does not define our life. Because while what we grieve is real and did happen, it is not the whole story. We have a God who is at work in our grief in ways that we cannot see, that we may not understand, but in, way, in ways that are for God's glory and for our good. When you walk with Jesus, the road through your grief is paved with hope. So we're continuing our, our First World Problems series that we started a couple of weeks ago, looking at the Jesus solutions to some of these suburban struggles that just seem to have become more and more uh, palpable and pronounced in the last few years. We talked about stress a couple weeks ago. We talked about comparison last week. In coming weeks, we'll talk about loneliness and anxiety and entitlement. And today we're talking about grief. And, and these problems can be really destructive both for us as individuals as well as the communities in which we live if we don't learn how to, to handle them and, and move through them. And I believe that Jesus makes a real difference in the lives of all people and that he has solutions to these first world problems. And the Jesus solution to the suburban struggle of grief is hope. Because Jesus is no stranger to grief. In the short time that the God of the universe inhabited human form, every day Jesus experienced grief. Every day he encountered the reality that the world was not as God intended. Imagine from his vantage point at being present at the dawn of creation and being part of the process of how all that would come together and seeing that the world was good and then seeing how things turned out. Knowing how things were supposed to be, experiencing how things were supposed to be, and then seeing how things are. In the illnesses that he witnessed as so many came to him for healing in the injustice that he witnessed at the hands of the Roman occupation, the inequity to the access to God that he witnessed by those who were entrusted with religious authority, but who so often abused that authority through the mandate of, of some certain form of piety and, and basically the, 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 the boundaries of what was allowed in order to have access to God were so narrow that most people couldn't fit through it. 
as much as you and I are impacted by the realities of the world, can you imagine how Jesus must have felt as he walked the earth each day? God so loved the world that God sent the only son into a world broken by sin, and it had to grieve Jesus' heart daily. And there's no more clear of an example of this than in our gospel reading today. So Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. Jesus had spent a ton of time uh, at his house uh, with, with his sisters, Mary and Martha, and he dies. And as Jesus enters the home of the grieving, seemingly too little, too late to do any of the things that people expected Jesus to do in a situation like that, he's met by Lazarus's sister, Martha, who says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I just bet that felt like a gut punch to Jesus. But in the midst of her grief, Martha expresses this hope that Jesus might do something, that Jesus might intervene. In that day, there was a dispute amongst the religious leaders about what would happen after, the, after you died. And there were some that believed there'd be a resurrection of the dead. There were some that believed that there wouldn't. And there was this uncertainty about what might happen. And Jesus, in verse 23, speaks into that uncertainty. He tells Martha, your brother will rise again. But while Martha thought that he was referring to some sort of future resurrection, Jesus actually meant that that resurrection was a present reality. See, what's difficult for us to conceptualize is that God is not bound by temporal limitations. God exists outside of time. And so when God acts, we experience it in a specific moment in time. But that action applies for all of time. Martha asserts her faith that the resurrection will happen on the last day. And Jesus says, no, no, actually, I am the resurrection. The resurrection is here and now. It has happened. The resurrection is a present reality. It is a done deal. Death does not win. Not over Lazarus. Not over anybody. And this is the hope that is the solution to our grief. That whenever there are these traumatic events that provoke grief, because some, something has died, whether it's a person, a relationship, a career, an expectation, an opportunity, a dream, Whenever something dies, there is grief, but our grief is not the end of the story. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And though someone or something dies, the story does not end there. Death does not win. The early church had to, to wrestle with this reality and, and come to terms with the grief that they were experiencing. Because in, in, in the first century, the expectation of the early church was that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he wasn't going to be gone for very long. That Jesus would return any day. That's what they expected. 
And so when days turned into weeks and weeks into months and months into years, and Jesus still hadn't come back, and the church was dealing with massive oppression from both religious and political leaders, and people were dying. They didn't know what to do with that. And so 15 years after Jesus' ascension, Paul writes a letter to a church in a town called Thessalonica with some instructions on, on how to handle this. And he says it's in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about people who have died so that you won't mourn like others who don't have any hope. In other words, grief was normal and natural, but that there were two kinds of grief. Grief without hope and grief with hope. Grief without hope leads you to believe that the traumatic events of your life happened and that the story ends there. That the the trauma, the loss, the disappointment, that that is what wins and that your life will be defined in some way by that loss and by that trauma going forward. But grief with hope leads you through your grief trusting that Jesus is up to something, even if you aren't able to see or imagine what that is. And Paul also said that we aren't alone in our grief. He writes a separate letter to the church in Rome, talking about how all of creation is groaning, grieving about a world that is not as it should be. And it sure feels like that today, doesn't it? Like, these feel like heavy, heavy days. Hope does not take the place of grief. But hope comes alongside of grief to be our path through our grief. Jesus didn't just promise Martha resurrection. He is the resurrection. Jesus doesn't just promise hope. He is our hope. And even when we don't see that hope or or can't seem to find it, Jesus is present with us in our grief by the Spirit. Paul writes in Romans 8, in the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The Spirit of God knows how to pray for us in our grief and be our hope because Jesus sent the Spirit and Jesus experienced grief. That's how we know and can trust that God knows what we're going through, that God has been there as well, and that God knows the way out in Christ. See, Martha was not the only sister that Jesus encountered that day. Mary, the other sister, came up to him and levied the same accusation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But this time, there was no no accompanied assertion of faith. And as Jesus looks around and he saw the mourners gathered, 
And he went out to the tomb where Lazarus lay and looked upon it. He was overcome with grief. And the shortest verse in all of the Bible, Jesus wept. When I preach at funerals, when I, when I counsel people who are going through difficulty, when I'm going through difficulty, I don't always know what to say. And I don't always know how to pray at the outset of that. But then I'm reminded by the Spirit inside of me of all the ways that Jesus has proven that he is the resurrection and the life, that he is the hope, that he has been where we are, and that he is the way through. Whatever grief you're experiencing this morning on on All Saints Sunday, whether it's the grief over, over someone's death, whether it's the grief over a loss of any kind, Know that Jesus has experienced it. You can come to him in your grief, even when you don't know what to say. He hears the groans of the Spirit inside of you. And he comes to you to be your hope. And that is why hope is the Jesus solution to the struggle of grief. Would you rise? Two questions to consider this morning. What losses are you grieving today? And what hope can Jesus be for you in your grief? So we'll take a moment, reflect on that, and I'll close our sermon time in prayer. Lord, we live in a world that is not as it should be. Because of that, there are reasons all around us that could provoke grief. Even if we feel settled in our, in our own lives, we look to the lives of our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members. We look at what's going on all over the world. And there's enough to provoke grief in us. We want to know where you are in the midst of our grief. And in our grief, Lord, you show up. Not to make it go away, but to bring us hope in the midst of grief. To be our hope, to be our future. To give us confidence in the promise that you are the resurrection and the life. And though things may die, though people may die, though we may die, that as we have faith and trust in that promise, we don't truly die. And that there will be a day when there's no more mourning or crying or pain. 
when all are gathered again under the throne of your grace and the world is once again as it was intended to be. We long for that day. We hope for that day. All of creation groans for that day. Lord, make that hope real and palpable in our lives and lead us through the grief that we experience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.